0: This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusek. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed the guy on Twitter known as Scale log scale started hosting twitter spaces over the summer and on those twitter spaces we're talking just about bitcoin um and it became pretty popular a lot of people were in and out um sometimes the stages would get pretty big um and i actually met him that way um so i wanted to talk to him about that his background how he got into that you know and then how he got into bitcoin as well and then also there was this whole controversy of you know him getting memed um, over the towards the end of the summer, and it made him almost walk away from everything. Um, but then he decided to come back. So I wanted to get him to be able to tell his side of the story, and then also you know shed light on where he's going because um, now he's you know changing the his Twitter. Uh, His Twitter handle is basically going to now be a Bitcoin radio station, which is pretty cool, like interactive radio. Everybody can come on and for newbies or anybody, always check in and listen to different people talking about different things in the Bitcoin world. So I want to get uh, we discuss all that and then also got into his theories on why the U.S. might uh, adopt Bitcoin. This episode is brought to you by Movies Plus. Movies Plus is my streaming platform that, you know, I started over the summer and we have uh content going up all the time if you want to go and check it out for free you can do a 30-day free trial just go to the app store search movies plus download the app and start the free trial Um, bitcoin content is going up Um, we're actually going to start probably adding some podcasts there too as well if you want to check them out um, you know be in front of the paywall so even if you're just looking for a different place um And then also we have we will have an exciting announcement uh, soon, but I think we're pretty close to landing our first uh, comedy special. Um, So we'll have a comedian uh, coming on board and and having a a Movies Plus original. Um, So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. Um, And then also it is brought to you by Coinbeast Connect. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one on one video call with a Bitcoin Pro on Coinbeast Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic in pro, select the date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. If you want to follow me, just follow me at Corey underscore Tusik on Twitter. And if you want to follow the show, it's at Bitcoin simply and you can email the show at Bitcoin Made simple podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, to throw another log on the fire um, and keep this conversation oh, going, <laughs> I had to get that pun out of the way. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, you, um, you you become quite the name in the Bitcoin space. and uh, And I'm sure you didn't see that coming at all
1: no I, I didn't this was all unplanned
0: um so to get into your background um cuz you know i asked you one time on a twitter spaces um and the you know you mentioned a little bit about you know what you do in your your Fiat job, you know your, your fiat mining. Um, so, give the listeners a little bit of a background on on who Log Scale is, you know, and, and and your origin story, how you got into this.
1: Right. Well, my my fiat mining as I have a business um, that I've had for almost a couple of decades now, and um, it doesn't need my attention every day, uh, which allows me to. You know, sometimes explore other interests, which is, I guess, what I've been doing since I really went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And, um, you know, it was May of this year when Twitter Spaces started. And that was the same time that, you know, Bitcoin had taken its big dive. And, um, and so, Initially I joined some spaces thinking, well, this is interesting. And, um, I'm kind of like, I'm a verbal person. I, I like to talk and, uh, I want to like, I want to really understand Bitcoin better. Cause I had a bunch of money in it that just <laughs> is now a lot less money. And so, um, you know, I, I first bought Bitcoin in February of 2017. And I sold it that December, never really understanding it, um, I got
0: taken like a decent profit, you know. I mean, yeah, not, but don't feel guilty because a lot of people did that, you know. Yes. I wasn't even in at that point. So, okay.
1: And then, you know, when COVID came and the stock markets tanked, um, I got interested in Bitcoin again. And this time I began taking it seriously. Um, and it was Raul Powell that um, I can credit at that point in time anyway. Um, and so I started like, you know, understanding it, like, as a macroeconomic asset and how it played into the global situation and recognizing that, okay, people like him and other people in this field and leaders in investment world are taking it seriously and institutions are getting in. So I kind of had a basic understanding of it, um, from that perspective, um, you know, for about a year. And then um, in May, after, you know, the big correction, I got on Spaces and I was on Spaces for hours a day, just like absorbing as much as I can and pretty much became orange-pilled, you know, into being a Bitcoin maximalist in those first couple of weeks of Spaces. Um, and then I started hosting more of them for no reason other than... Um, you know, people wanted to talk for like eight (laughs) or more hours a day, but like, you know, they would have to keep shutting down their spaces because, you know, life called or their significant other often. And, um, and not everyone was able to host spaces at the beginning for whatever reason, Twitter, you know, gave certain accounts, the ability to host spaces and not others. And so, um, I'm like, well, I can host, and I'm like, I'm single now, so I can I can host for hours. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. just that random circumstance uh, that uh, that I a could host and, and uh, B didn't have anybody telling me <laughs> I needed to get off.
0: How do you get off the phone?
1: Yes, so so that led to me hosting regularly, and um, and early on. I kind of, because I was looking to to learn more um, since other people knew more than I did, I was, um, you know, inviting people who knew more to the stage. And um, I think it was in the first week or two of hosting regularly, I think the tweet's still around. I like posted a tweet saying, hey, this is my my strategy for hosting. I'm gonna try to optimize the speaker panel um, so that there's higher you know, signal to noise and don't be offended if I, you know, move you off the panel cause you've been quiet. And so I kind of took this approach toward very actively managing the panel. Um, instead
0: of just starting it up and
1: letting yes, it run. Yes. Um, well, there was a week or two where I just kind of let it run, but then I like, I think I sort of pivoted and I started like really actively managing the panel, inviting people you know, and that kind of grew. Like, if the topic went off in a certain direction, I'd be DMing people who I knew that was their niche. Hey, we're talking about whatever. Can you come? You know, can you come join the stage? And so I kind of took this role, rather than as so much of a speaker, as like um, a director or like a casting director, and like, okay who can I get on stage to make this interesting? Or who's waiting to, as the spaces got larger, like who's waiting to speak, who I think has a lot to offer based on the topic or based on past spaces, but there's other people on stage who aren't like really contributing much right now. And so I just kind of like made the policy, hey, if I I bunk you down to listener, that's not personal. You can just request again, if you have more to say. And so that worked, Um, that increased the signal to noise ratio of my spaces and generally made them, you know, the highest single noise ratio, unless Bitcoin Magazine like opened up a space on some topics and that's obviously going to be high quality content. But um, so kind of my space has gained a reputation for like, okay, this is where the big brains are. This is where the most useful information is. And then it uh, once I reached that point in time, it just um, kind of snowballed from there and my spaces kind of still have that reputation um for being like high signal to noise and now I'm like kind of a, my role is kind of gravitating again and now I'm like I'm moving more into like a producer role um where okay I've now got a sponsor and it's Twitter and um there might be you know more sponsors down the road so what if I build this up, um, invite more people to bring their content um, and kind of take the log scale out and move that to a new account and make this more of like a neutral platform where people can come um, and be heard by a larger audience. And so I'm kind of like looking at my role more like a producer slash director now. And so I expect to generally talk less as time goes on, um, there's one you know topic where I've considered myself quite knowledgeable because I like really dove into it, and that's what is going on with the U.S. government and Bitcoin. And so, you know, I had some threads on that topic that went really viral and brought me um, a lot of my followers came from that as opposed to spaces. and um, And I've got more on that coming up soon. Um, so that's one topic where, you know, I'll go out and speak, um, you know, like I was, um, invited onto a stage and discuss that with Lynn Alden, had a couple thousand people in it. And, um, and the, that piece I wrote on that was published in the Swan Bitcoin private client newsletter. Um, but a lot of that hasn't been published, you know, for everyone to read. And a lot of what I found since then wasn't in that article. So, um, you know, that's one area where I think I have unique and valuable content to add. But other than that, I'm like, I'd rather, I think I, I, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago. I don't see myself as an influencer, but I don't have problems with influencers. And I'd like to like, give a bigger, um, you know, megaphone to, you know, people who really are thought leaders, Um, or just, you know, small that have valuable information ought to be thought leaders. And so um, that's sort of where things have evolved over the last half a year.
0: That's pretty crazy. So um, now did you, I remember at one point you had said you had, you owned Bitcoin through Grayscale. Was that how you first got into Bitcoin or... How did that work? No, I
1: first got into
0: Bitcoin with the
1: real thing on Coinbase, and um, in 2017. And then, when COVID came, I got back into it through grayscale uh, mining stocks, whatever I could find in, you know, my IRA accounts that I could buy um, mm-hmm. the block ETF, the LOK, MicroStrategy. Um, the block ETF is mainly mine, Bitcoin miners and service providers. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had my exposure to it, um, most of it indirectly. But then as time wore on, like, okay, well, it's time to, you know, buy some of the real things. So I started building up um, more of the real Bitcoin, but I still own the proxies, you know, in, in my uh, retirement accounts. And mm-hmm. so some of each. And,
0: um, you know, that's- you, you didn't go, uh, cause what I did was just complete, like complete liquidation of everything. I mean, I'm in my thirties, so I'm a lot farther away from retirement and there's a lot less of a chance that, um, there'll be, you know, the dollar will be worth anything by the time I retire. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I just liquidated everything. And, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like that makes sense, you know, I think that's, you know, one of the good things about something like Grayscale, because then there's people, you were obviously more into it, but, you know, there's people that um, they're just kind of maybe like poking around at like where they can, you know, put a little bit of their money in their retirement account. And they're like, oh, what's this, you know? And it's like a soft introduction to Bitcoin. Is that what you see it as?
1: Yeah, it's a a, a vehicle where people can more easily get into it, but not necessarily easily, right? Until the um, ETF became available recently. A lot of retirement accounts didn't offer grayscale, or you had to ask special permission, and so people didn't know they could get it. Um, but you know what I feel about that now is you know something I've been voicing on spaces, and that is even if the U.S. government were to like formally adopt Bitcoin as a global reserve asset, like later this decade. Um, even in like that would that would like be viewed by many people as a positive news, but they would I think likely go to grayscale and microstrategy and such and basically just buy them out. I don't use the word nationalize because I think they would, you know, they would like give you fair market value and probably a little premium for your Bitcoin. But as soon as that was announced, then the price of Bitcoin would probably go through the roof, and you'd miss up on the remaining upside. Plus, you know, you wouldn't be self sovereign holding the real thing. And so there's, um, you know, there's real downsides and risks to owning Bitcoin through proxies. And, um, and I think it makes sense in a retirement account, but you know, what's your allocation to the real thing versus proxies versus non-Bitcoin assets? Like I usually say that just varies with the person and their, their life situation. How old are they? How reliable is their income? Um, do they have dependents? <laughs> you know, and so uh, that, it's kind of a personal decision, I think. Um, and I generally don't say much. I've just told you more, I think, than I've ever said about like my personal holdings of Bitcoin or my opsec. Like, I generally just don't talk about it, mm-hmm. um, and probably that's all I. would i'd like to say uh, yeah no
0: no i yeah i'm right there with you i mean we, we did all lose them in a boating accident you know right. so like i don't own any anymore um it's a shame yeah. um but i did get to go fishing that day so you know yeah there's that um yeah i mean it you know it, it is nice to have a soft entrance for people but um i mean as as people quickly learn i think they realize holding the real thing um is even uh is even you know i mean it's just so much more important and necessary and like i was telling uh luke actually luke mitch mick at gino um Mm -hmm. and um saying for us with this house buying process um i had to like prove a a certain level of liquidity in bitcoin because i was i was saying like hey i you know they were asking for different assets and um you know, everything that I didn't lose on the boat, I told them, you know, what I had. And, uh, and so they, um, you know, I actually had to move some of the Bitcoin to the ex- an exchange and it like made me sick, <laughs> like sick to my stomach. um, So that's, uh, you know, it, once you get to that, once you realize how important holding the real thing is, um, you'll be like, wait a minute, I, you know, other than, you know, you have those proxies and you're, retirement account it's like might as well ride it out um but you know yeah you you're gonna miss the upside if somebody come if the government comes in and tries to so let's circle back in a little bit to the to the government theory because i do want to pick your brain on that um but uh so you started hosting these spaces like i remember in may whenever the crash happened um i think i was on like on vacation or something and will clemente started hosting spaces and then i think that's how i found your spaces would you usually be in those and then and then start one up after him or something like that um Yeah, yeah
1: yeah
0: i mean i know you started your own but i think that's how so i came across you that way um and uh and so you get into hosting these spaces um they're growing in size and everything. So, like, what, what's that like on the back end? Because you guys initially started with like 50 or so, and then, you know, pretty consistently got up to like how high, like 150, 200. Um, and, like, you know, whenever you have that, I mean, how many people are requesting, you know, for people that go in there when they request, you know, is there usually a queue of like, you know, five or so people that have been waiting, or uh, is it, is it hard to get a, a filled out stage?
1: Well, uh, still, when I um, open a space now, sometimes uh, it's a little slow to get to get the discussion rolling. Um, other times, it just fills up, you know, in five minutes. But the queue to speak doesn't usually start until after half an hour, and the longer the space goes, generally the larger it is, and the larger the queue is, unless it goes really late in the evening and then it starts shrinking in size again, or. Some other big space opens up, like Bitcoin Magazine or something, um, and uh, the audience seems to vary a lot. But yeah, certainly the average has gone up, and certainly it was like having several larger than expected spaces in the last couple of weeks that made me decide, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try doubling down on this for a couple of months because. Momentum seems to keep growing, and I haven't even really been trying that hard. So, what would happen if I like tried harder for a couple of months, combined that with like the Twitter Spaces Spark program, uh, and that's the you know accelerator sponsored project, and just rode with it? Uh, and Bitcoin price probably going to be rising during that same period. what, what would that lead to? uh well there's only one way to know like give it a try mm-hmm. and like sometimes when life throws something at you you know <laughs> you like okay um maybe this is a sign that i really should be paying attention to this so it was kind of the, just the fact that things kept growing that i'm like okay i'm gonna like i'm gonna really make an effort and see what happens
0: yeah yeah sometimes um you have to go with the flows of different things. I think I've, I mean, I've said this before in the podcast, and I know I've said it in your spaces before, but um, you know, whenever, whenever the the like pro Donald Trump movie came to me, um, and I was like, like, okay, this is going to be you know interesting, um, and I had always at that point stayed away from political stuff just because I don't like personally like to get wrapped up into it and i actually really don't care much at all um because i found that no matter who's in power for the most part uh, my life until covid happened my life uh stayed the same um mm-hmm. and uh you know what i mean like that's what like i always got like thought it was funny when people would be like obama's and they're like my life's over and i was like i mean i don't my life stayed the same and then like you know bush is in my life's over and like no i mean, I mean day-to-day yeah. is a bit the same but um yeah that movie came to me And I had to think about it a lot and like ponder over it. And it's like, you just sometimes life throws something at you and you'd be like, you know what, let's, let's give this a shot. And I mean, I'm a proponent of free speech. So they were getting censored and I obviously was like, all right, I'm ready to go to bat for that. But, but yeah, I mean, you you gotta, I recommend that to all the, you know, plebs out there, um, you know, like us, you know, you gotta take, take opportunities when they come. Um, So so you have all these spaces going and um, and I got to ask, so, you know, when did, when did this clout scale start mine, uh, memeing and I will preface this with, um, you know, I think, I think we're all guilty of, you know, different shilling and, and clout chasing. um, Even when we try not to be like, I try really not to be, but I, early on when I got in spaces, you know, just picking up cues from other podcasters and people like, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, you show your stuff whenever you're on stage or whatever, um, you know, just politely not over the top. And, and like, when I did it, even then I did do it, but even then I'll admit, I felt like super cringy. Like, ugh, what am I doing? Um, you know, it was like, what am I like? Some radio DJ, like check it out tonight at seven, you know? And, <laughs> um, and, So I just very quickly, I think I even messaged you about this. I was like, I was like, Hey, sorry if I just start signing off, but like, I just started going with the Irish farewell Uh and it was like, boom, I'm out, um, disappeared. And that pretty much has become the norm across spaces now. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we're all guilty of that, you know, and like, we're trying to build momentum on certain things and, and, uh, and everything. So, you know, when, how did that all start? As, as far as you're aware um like i did go does that go back to the aussie space and maybe you could yeah. shed light on that for people that don't know
1: the last week in june um i kicked aussie out of my uh off the stage back to listener um when what she- was
0: the reason behind that
1: it was the first time that I had really started a space since i gotten any, of any size, and the topic wasn't Bitcoin. It you know, wasn't serious, and it was largely um, because of her being on stage, which she hadn't really been on my stage before much, if at all. And um, I was like, "How can I get the? How can I get this on, onto Bitcoin?" And so I'm like DMing, you know, some of the regulars to try to get them to come on stage, and finally, somebody comes on stage. Uh, it was the first time he came come on stage and brought the topic back to Bitcoin and Michael Saylor. And she jumped all over him like Michael Saylor is a, I don't know, bad actor, I don't remember what it was, but she was like yelling at him. And um, I just bumped her down to Listener and I said, we do not yell at people for switching the topic to Bitcoin, thank God. Like (laughs) somebody wants to talk about Bitcoin again. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was like mad because I felt like she was undermining, you know, my purpose. And, um, and so I got angry and I shouldn't have, and people started DMing me. Oh, she's such a, you know, B word. And I'm glad you did that. And then I started like reading out those tweets without giving the name of the people who wrote them, but that was really dumb and wrong of me to do that. So um, she started a room or a space, you know, log scales of cloud chaser and uh, a couple dozen people went over there and I guess talked about how much they disliked me for the rest of the evening. And they bonded over that. And then those people continued to hold spaces like almost every night talking about in part how much they didn't like log scale. <laughs> and so. And Aussie wasn't even a part of that on an ongoing basis. She wasn't even joining those rooms for the most part. And so, um, you know, I did what you're supposed to do. Well, first of all, the next morning, I apologized to everyone, you know, that was was in the space on stage, all the regulars. And I asked someone to forward it to Aussie but she didn't want to see it. And um, I, uh, you know, ignored the trolls like that's what you're supposed to do right ignore the trolls they go away but like i ignored them for two months like totally ignored them and they didn't go away because they bonded in spaces over like their dislike of me and so that took on this unique dynamic and a life of its own that ignoring them wasn't wasn't gonna i guess work right so um you know, this led to <laughs> engagement and disengagement, and then me occasionally going over there and like, trying to explain myself or explain myself in tweets. And you know, when we pretty much now have like a truce, and it like 80% of it was they just had made assumptions about me that weren't true. But because they told them to one another for hours on end every night, it sure seemed true to them. Um and so, and you know, in terms of cloud chasing, I, there was nothing to shill. I was probably being uh, like not as humble as I should have been about the success of my spaces. Cause I'd like tweet out like, oh my God, like are these spaces amazing or what? And like, mm-hmm. you know, look who joined tonight. It's Lynn Alden or, um, and so like, I kind of started I guess bragging a little about the spaces, but
0: we're all guilty Honestly, of half of it was, I was
1: just expressing surprise and delight about like how great they were going. Right. So, but one of the things I learned through that is like, as your account size grows, the expectations change about like how you should behave, uh, especially, you know, in the Bitcoin space. And so, um, I've like tried to like ratchet back what I'm saying and, um, realize that, okay, I guess there's people see that I have more of a responsibility. I need to think about that. And ultimately like, you know, let's just divorce log scale from this account and, and put log scale back on a brand new account that can be my personal voice. And have the hosting account be just more of a neutral platform, like a radio station or something, an interactive radio station. And so, um, you know, that's, uh, but I think I'd I'd be arriving at that point, even if none of this controversy had happened um, because that's just sort of a natural progression of things, especially when I'm not seeking to be a voice myself. This is the first time I've done a podcast um, Mm -hmm. and maybe the last.
0: uh, Yeah. You're going to get hounded a lot, but we can put that out there now for people that, you know, this was just kind of a we had a personal conversation you and i and you were like you know yeah let's let's sit down and just kind of have this out there for people so you might if log doesn't want to do more he doesn't want to do more you know
1: right yes i reserve the right not to do any more podcasts
0: (laughs) um so so it just kind of uh i mean you know it, it is it is that uh Cause sometimes like I, I'll get really excited about things and it can come off. I totally understand where that comes, where it comes off as like, you're like bragging about something, you know what I mean? And you know, it's just like, it's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, we, you know, this, that, the other thing. even with, even like in personal conversation, just one-on-one when I was talking to Luke about like where we're moving to and like how excited I was about the house and everything. I was like, I'm not like trying to brag, you know, like I just, it, but you know, I just that's the way I'm like. I get excited about something, and I just blah, it comes out, um, right? You know, so that it's, uh, and it's funny. I think I don't know if you saw the recent Joe Rogan episode, but um, uh, he had the guy from the Social Dilemma on. And they were talking about the feedback loop of social media. So I wanted to pick on that for a second because um, something you said, where they made assumptions about you that weren't true. Um, but they, you know, it gets into that, uh, feedback loop and it gets cemented as reality. And, you know, obviously since then you, you've, you know, have a truce with them and everybody's come to an understanding. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting view on, on how social media works where, um, you know, it gets, things get circulated and can become truth in people's minds. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. So it kind yeah, of to you on a personal level. Well, let's talk about that
1: for a second because so I'm like a middle age. I never got on social media. I mean, I was still like, you know, mid thirties when Facebook became popular, but I was like, I've always been a very private person. I'm like, I don't, why would I want to put my life on display? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I just never got on social media. And so I have never had any experience with it. And, um, and I don't have kids, so I don't know what you know it's like to encounter trolls on social media. And so like I was just like kind of going into this like basically <laughs> completely naive person and a completely
0: green social right, media person.
1: Yes. And then all this shit happens and I wasn't prepared for because I didn't even have a context, you know, for it. So but again, yeah, it's no, part of the story. None of this was planned. This just kept growing out organically, and here we are.
0: Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because so um, so you're you've said before you're in your fifties, right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not. Uh, yeah, but um, but so like that's what I tried to whenever I was because I kind of was like so thrown off by the whole situation, and in my mind, I was like, you know, just trying to imagine, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm 35. So like, you know, someone 15 years, my senior, what would, what would the experience of coming to social media, like brand new be like, and it would be like a completely different world, you know, because like my brother, who's four years older than me, I mean, just that four year difference, Because he graduated college in 04 and that's when I graduated high school. And like right whenever I graduated high school, went into college, like Facebook, MySpace, everything took off. And there is just like this disconnect, even in that four year gap Mm -hmm. where like he just we like we joke because uh, like him and my sister-in-law still have like a joint Facebook account like, I don't even have a Facebook account at this point, but it's like, we're well, always like, oh, like which one, which one of them was the one that posted that, you know? And it's like, <laughs> y- you know, you're a boomer if you have a, a joint Facebook account with your spouse or whatever. Um, but like, so, you know, even in that four years, there's a huge gap in understanding of what social media is. So for someone like yourself, like, did you just start up a social, a Twitter account just to kind of follow like Bitcoin news and... Yeah. Um, Read up on it.
1: Uh, well, financial news in general, um, the markets, macro, um, and then that Bitcoin quickly became a part of that. Um, so yeah, it was just like I was just a person with like you know a few dozen followers, <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know collecting information.
0: And what um what what made you go with the name log scale?
1: Um, before the, for the first week of spaces, um, my avatar was log scale and my, um, but my like display name was X Bitcoin skeptic because I was like on these, you know, I was chatting with finance people outside of Bitcoin and asking them questions. Like I wanted to be. I kind of wanted to provoke the discussion and like, you guys should be getting into Bitcoin. So I, I kind of said, I'm an ex-skeptic, you're a skeptic, you know, maybe we should take mm-hmm. a look at Bitcoin. But like when spaces started, like people like, well, what are we supposed to call you, X? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I'll just change the display name to log scale. But, you know, log scale came from just the idea, like if you look at Bitcoin on a uh, linear um, scale, it looks like crazy. It looks like tulips, you know, it looks like mania it's going to crash. If you look at it at it on log scale, you see like oh, this is just a naturally progressing exponential path. It's almost kind of predictable. And um you know, and so I changed my background image to the you know, that the, the stock to flow uh, model with the dot, colored dots and and I created a log scale avatar to try to like Get people like, hey, you should be looking at Bitcoin this way, not on linear mm-hmm. scale. So that that happened, you know, sometime early in the year, and then um, and then the you know spaces came, and I learned a lot more about Bitcoin, but I kept the name, kind of liked it. And then yeah. once in a while, everybody knew me as log scale. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's just who I am now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Be, that has become your persona. Is yeah. it weird that just like on a regular basis, you hear people calling you log? No, like, actually, I, I, it, I've gotten used to it.
1: It's kind of normal now.
0: Oh, it's so funny. Because for the longest time, my Twitter account was just literally Bitcoin made simple. So people would refer to me that way, or they'd say BMS on uh-huh. spaces um and then when i switched it over they started saying my name but i like uh i wouldn't react sometimes i wouldn't react like, i don't know if it was if Corey clipston was in this space then i'd be like just sitting there like they're off you know or, or if he was like if the if for some reason that i just wasn't used to my name being used so it just uh, kind of threw me off there for a little yes. bit um but uh so i mean i don't like what was that like you know because it's difficult to deal with the, the, the bullying, all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's something that, you know, can get out of hand quickly. And, you know, everyone who likes to act like they're above it, we all do it to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's just easy to laugh at other people and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, what was it like? I mean, like, was it just mentally too tasking for you at that point? Like whenever you had, you said like, look, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm walking away from this.
1: Yeah. There was that point in September where I'm like, this isn't worth it. I'm not having fun. I don't need to be doing this. And, uh, I'm out of here. (laughs) Uh, and I actually spent, um, I actually spent like half a week thinking I was, I really wasn't coming back. I remember like, and my first phone call with Dennis Porter over that weekend. And I told him I'm not coming back, dude, I'm done. I'm out of here. (laughs) You can deal with those people. Um, And, uh, and then, you know, the days ticked by and I like, okay, maybe I'll come back. I had my account, my tweets protected, you know, and I ended up leaving them protected for a couple of weeks. And then um, I'm like, plotting my return, you know, okay, well, what am I, if I'm going to return, how am I going to do this? And, um, and so I, you know, I came back (laughs) and started hosting spaces again first, just one or two a week and then gradually ramped back up. And like, now I'm like pretty much hosting them every day again. So, um, but I think the, the difference is that like, it was like shocking to me, Um, especially because a lot of it seemed unfair like uh, the criticisms against me were the same criticisms that would apply to big names with like a quarter of a million followers but they'd never criticize those people just me right so I'd be like it seemed unjust and um, but what I got to the point where like I have no emotions about it anymore and I don't think I would have come back if I hadn't gotten to that point um, because I don't like I don't really have time for other people to be like impacting my life emotionally, but it doesn't bother me now. Like I just, now it's just funny or, you know, I just like, Oh, there they go again, but it doesn't affect me. And it was in September, like affecting me, you know? So that's, I guess it's just.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I, I, I figured what was going on because that's, you know, like I said, you were, you know, just like, Private business owner, um, like preferred to not be in the public eye, and that, and you kind of got thrust into it. You know, even though I mean, you know, we all, once you got it going, you're like, hey, this is fun. You know, let's keep it going. So, you, in a way, you're growing it yourself. But yeah, like I said before, with the um, with the Trump movie, like I made the at that point, I made the conscious decision. I was like, okay, like I'm opening myself up to criticism. Like I, I really enjoyed up to that point just like operating like companies in the movie business laying low you know i mean like people in the business knew who i was like we would you know at meetings or whatever they knew me at conferences all that kind of stuff but but like my my name was like never in an article nothing like that and um and so i just i made that conscious decision but it took a lot of mental coaching to get there and i had to think about it for a long time and i had been thinking about it ahead of time you know where you it's hard because you just have to get numb to it um and ultimately too i i think the lesson for younger like people that are having like younger kids like i actually took it as a way to um because really who would want to take that on you know i mean like having yourself open to criticism and people saying stuff about you you know your ears burning all that kind of stuff um but i was like i'm I'm afraid of my kids getting older and having to experience social media Mm -hmm. um You know, because like one of the things that you don't think about is that, like, back in our day, if there was bullying at school, and like, you know, I'm lucky that I I wasn't, you know, bullied or anything, and actually probably, you know, like guilty of bullying, not being like mean, but, you know, like I said, we're not immune to it. Like, we all, you know, everybody laughs and and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I'm not a perfect person, but uh, the, you know, back then when the bullying stopped at three o'clock, you know, the school day was over, it was done. And nowadays what terrifies me for kids is that the bullying is consistent. It goes all day. It's on the internet. Um, And so that's what I'm really afraid of for my kids and just for kids in general. um, Because, you know, you had that safe haven back in the day, you, you know, you, you went home, Right, home was the safe place. And now it's like, I can't imagine the torture of somebody who's getting bullied. So that's actually one of the um, reasons why I was like, I'm going to confront this head on um, and, and hopefully be able to pass something on to my kids. Um, you know, but I mean, do you notice that with like social media of like, you know, back in the day, if you got bullied at school, at least you went home and it, and it shut off. But now it's like you have people like in your face about it all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, um, like it's gotta be hard to be a kid or raise kids these days. Um, it's like, a, you know, it's a significant change in, in human history, like human evolution about how we interact with one another. Um, and I guess you could say that's true of most things digital, including Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, a lot of people aren't equipped to deal with change and a lot of people are afraid of change. And that just makes it all of this, whether it's social media or politics or anything like more complicated um, and, and stressful, you know, for some people, but um, yeah, I now have a context for social media I didn't have before.
0: Yeah. it's the ups and downs. And that's, you have to get to the point. Uh, there's this comedian from Pittsburgh, Billy Gardell, who, um, that uh, he he's on that show now. It's called uh, Bob Hart's Abashola. and he was in that show, Mike and Molly. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and uh, so you know he's a bigger guy, and uh, and he he was he told he said he was like I told my son, you know, because his son I think is like eighteen now or something. And he's like you got to get to the point where you look in the mirror and you realize that nobody else's opinion matters except for that person's right there, and you know he's he was like my son was like well dad but you're a movie star you know like you're in tv shows of course you know every. and he was like go on and you know search my name and so he like you know son googled his name and he's like showing them you know he's like well dad this person oh billy you're great in this you're great in that he's like and then you get to the you know one point in like the message board or comments on something where somebody's like you fat F, you know, you <laughs> suck in this movie and you suck in this show and everything like that. And then like you start to see it more and more and more and that feed it, it starts feeding it to you. And his son, like his, his son was like, oh, like, what do you, what do you do? And he's like, you know what I do? I shut the computer and go to sleep in this big freaking house, you know? <laughs> it's like you have to look at like what you're doing you know like it has to it has to be you know like you could sit there and look at like oh i'm not a success whenever he's on uh, you know syndicated tv shows and like as a star like Oh, you know no actually i'm doing all right um so yeah it's it's interesting um and uh yeah it's something that weighs on me with with kids uh you know because it's just you know that there's there's multiple realities that come into existence. You know, people believe something and they follow it up. And I mean, it was even funny. Like I heard, I had hopped in that one space that was talking about um, Jack Dorsey this morning, you know, whereas hearing people talk about different things and just seeing how their point of view on a subject is completely different from the actual reality. And then the reality that I see, and the reality that people on the other side see—you know what I mean? Like it's just a—it's uh, this real weird conundrum that that we have, and it's interesting that you were actually a person that got swept up into that. So, um, so enough about that. And by the way, I, you know, um, like shout out to to Matt, um, you know that you you and Matt went in that space and uh, and had it out, and uh, and I think you know. That was, you know, very fair on all fronts, and and uh, I was just uh, tipping my cap to both of you guys for for doing that in a you know mature and open way. The one this morning, no, no, Matt, oh. with like a couple weeks ago or whatever, three weeks. ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you were like, he was basically like your prosecutor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because also, you know, I mean, I think we, you know, I don't want to rehash all that. But it's like you were like, look, I made some mistakes. And like, I think we need to get to that point where people can make mistakes again in life and not be, you know, erased from history. Cause, right. uh, Jesus Christ. You know, like, I mean, they would dig up like 15 year old emails of anybody. Uh, They're not going to be pleasant. I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine in 2011. We were like, I can't believe all the stuff people are putting on social media like they're never going to be able to run for president and then like <laughs> five years later trump's on twitter and you're like well yeah. never mind i guess any, i guess it doesn't right. matter what you put on social media um right. you know it, but it was just you know i still think that, that stuff can be harmful for people like it, it gets tracked back to you you know and 15 years from now somebody's gonna dig it up and <laughs> and cancel you and um so anyways uh just be Get to the point where you're uncancelable. Um, so back to the Bitcoin related stuff. Um, I'm going to pull on the thread of your your theory of if give people the premise if they don't know it, just you know, a quick overview of your theory of what the U.S. government might be doing with Bitcoin and and how they might be trying to adopt it.
1: So we had discussed in my space as the possibility that the U.S. government might want to formally embrace Bitcoin one day. And we talked about the game theory of that and um, the Triffin Dilemma. Uh, Lynn Alden had written a piece. Basically, the Triffin Dilemma says, if you're the world reserve currency, that works out really well for your country for a number of decades. And then, you know, after a century or so, it starts working against you and you end up with a lot of debt. you manufacturing has all been offshored. And, um, and that's why most world reserve currencies only lasted about a century. And, um, and so that you know at some point you might want to pass on the world reserve currency to someone else, but we don't want to pass it on to China. And I'm like, well, now there's a possibility to pass it on to Bitcoin. So like it actually could be in the interest of the US government. To decide to go that route. And that's not the only reason the US government might um, want to um, actually embrace Bitcoin someday. So this had been discussed as a theory, but it was just like, you know, one of those fun game theory things you talk about and think about, it wasn't real. And then Gary Gensler on August 3rd gave his first extended remarks on cryptocurrencies um, at the Aspen Institute and I watched it live. I was actually kind of live blogging it. Um, oh
0: yeah. Didn't you do a space or something?
1: Uh, no, this was an earlier speech of his, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't know if had a space going or not anyway, but I was like watching him like, holy shit. Like this guy loves Toshi, loves Bitcoin. He understands them. He taught, taught them, um, but he does not like, altcoins, like kind of (laughs) (laughs) unregistered securities. And I'm like, I sent out this tweet at the end of the speech, Gary Gensler, Bitcoin maximalist, you know? Um, I actually, I started a space with that title at the end of the speech actually. And then like a lot of stuff happened that week. It's the same week the infrastructure bill was released. Um, The CFTC commissioner made a statement Elizabeth Warren walked back some comments on Bitcoin. Two amendments to the infrastructure bill were made. They were both bipartisan, like equal number of Democrats and Republicans. Did they both get rejected? Um, yes, yes, and no. That's a separate topic. And um, and I'm like, oh, and the White House endorsed the proof of work amendment at the expense of proof of stake, at least for a day or two. When they endorsed it, it was. And I'm like, how do you explain all this happening and that Gary Gensler being hired in the first place if at some level the government wasn't um, wanting to at least protect Bitcoin as a plan B down the road. And so I speculated about that and this stuff went viral. you know. And then somebody contacted me who still wishes to remain anonymous and said, I've been doing a lot of research on this topic, why don't you tweet this stuff? And then send it, feeding me information. Um, not all of which, by the way, I have gone public with yet, but I will soon. And uh, But, I, but I, I published a lot of it. And then this researcher and I recently have dug up more ourselves. And what we found is that there is a pattern of Bitcoin experts moving like in a kind of a hiring revolving door between the White House and MIT um, and Princeton and some enough, oh, there's a lot of connections, okay? And so I know that there are people in government who are on like both sides of the Bitcoin question or neutral. and. But there are people in the government, you know, who understand Bitcoin and who have gone through its game theory, and they've been thinking about this since 2014. Um, and and so there are people who get it in the government, and I think the evidence to explain, like the events of August, for example, is. There are people in the government holding sway saying, "Hey, you cannot close the door on Bitcoin. We may need it, and um, or our citizens may need it, and uh, and that's why like there's been this kind of protected status for Bitcoin. Um, and regard re- regarding the amendment, they did what they, hey, they ran out of time. There ended up being eight senators who tried to get this fixed: four Democrats and four Republicans. They ran out of time and so all that was left was like a unanimous, like a voice vote type deal. And they needed hundred senators to, to pass the fix. So the two amendments got merged. They worked together, these eight senators worked out a fix and the, um, they got to this voice vote and they got 99 out of hundred senators to vote for the fix. And the one that objected was Richard Selby from Alabama. And afterwards, he's like, well, I supported fixing that language, but I rejected it because they rejected my other amendment on military spending. So out of spite, like he voted against it. But that means there's 99 and actually 100 senators supporting fixing the bill. And and now it's going to get fixed in the House. And meanwhile, after the bill was passed, Janet Yellen's Treasury Department, IRS leaked to the press, we're not going to force that restrict enforce that restrictive broker language, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, and now you've got like the FDIC like working with banks to allow them to custody Bitcoin, and I'm like none of that would be happening if the government really was interested in shutting down Bitcoin. Um, so there's a lot to say, but that's that's a brief
0: overview. Now I think that the government would like to shut down Bitcoin, but I think they've realized that they can't.
1: That's part um, that may be part
0: of it. And so they're like, all right, we have to figure out how we're going to make this work for us. Um, that's my, I guess, really skeptical take on it. Yes. Um, and right. The
1: fact that Bitcoin is, Um, resistant to government control may end up having mattered even though like the big war was never fought if the big war is never fought because they realized too late they were already defeated and Mm -hmm. so bitcoin's government resistance still worked without even having to (laughs) go to war
0: go through the yeah Yeah. i mean because you know bitcoin doesn't need any governments to adopt it Um, governments need to adopt it, though. Yes. Um, And, you know, I think more and more, like, obviously, El Salvador, Tonga is talking about it. Um, You know, so it's going to start with those small countries with, you know, that solves the remittance problem for them. Um, But I think, you know, as it, what do you think? Do you think it just keeps growing in that direction? Because they're going to figure it out out of necessity. They're like, we need to do this. We're, you know, bleeding money through to our you know our, our people are bleeding money to the um, remittances and uh, all the fees and then they're being dependent on the US dollar and you know like something like Jack maller said where uh, you know all those stimulus all do- uh, all those stimulus uh, checks went out but none of them came to El Salvador but that country is still dependent on the dollar mm-hmm. um, so you know it, it would be a I think quite a quite a, a, quite a leap forward in very forward thinking for the government to because if the u.s wants to retain this position um which i would imagine they do um it would make sense to start embracing bitcoin and figure out how it can be a part of of the future um and how they can incorporate it into their game plan. Um, I hope that that doesn't lead to something like a 6102, like they did with gold and they try to confiscate it from everybody and say, we'll hold it at the federal reserve. Trust us. Um, I don't know. Um, It's could play
1: out a lot of different ways and nobody knows for sure. Um, But I never get tired of speculating about how it might play out.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting you know because I I, do believe that you know Satoshi did create something here that leads to a potential peaceful revolution um, but I also at the same time you've heard me say many times I'm like the people that were in control of the they, they had a monopoly on information they had a monopoly on money and we think that they're just going to willingly give that up like and not you know, go out kicking and screaming. Um, and it might not even be the politicians, you know, it's just whoever, you know, donors, things like that, people higher up and stuff like that, that, uh, that, you know, pull these strings um, because this, this works for, the, this is a fair system, um, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that the U S is uh, the pioneer here um, because that's that's what we're founded on, you know. That's that's what our ancestors were were pioneers, um, you know, and uh, and taking a chance on something and wanting a fair system. Um, you know, they didn't mind paying their taxes as long it was as long as it was for their voice was heard. You know, that's what started the revolution. Um, you know, so I don't know what what do you think is the most likely outcome? Because there's multiple ways this goes, but what do you see being the most likely?
1: Um, uh, I'm inclined to believe in a, in a, in a theory similar to the dollar milkshake theory, where the other fiat currencies of the world fail before the dollar, uh, they're weaker than the dollar. Obviously they're not the world reserve currency. They're mostly at a higher rate, uh, faster rate than we are. And so I think that, um, there'll be some time to watch. And some of them are already failing, right? Some of them already failed. So you're going to see these currencies fail. And then these countries are going to basically end up choosing between the dollar or Bitcoin or both, which sets up a grand battle in the end between the dollar and Bitcoin. But during that process, the dollar may get stronger, certainly against other currencies of the world, but, It will also probably continue to lose buying power as it's um, debased. But, uh, and then they have to keep printing money. Um, But the dollar standing in the world relative to other currencies will strengthen even as the dollar gets weaker. Um, And then the final battle is between the dollar and Bitcoin. I think that's the most likely way that it plays out. But, you know, these things can like play out. That way for like half half of that, and then like and then it all changes, and like Bitcoin goes vertical because you know the countries of the world realizing they're all basically secretly trying to front one one another <laughs> into Bitcoin, and then it just becomes like a massive piling. Um, and I think that that could be um, very like chaotic for. Everyone, uh, except maybe people with Bitcoin and cold storage, and um, and the governments then may try to slow it down. So if like they try to shut off off and on ramps or do a sixty one or two or something, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are trying to kill Bitcoin, and they probably know that they can't, but that that the social unrest of a, a massive Remonetization from the dollar to Bitcoin happening so fast will destabilize the society and the world. And so they're okay with it happening, but they'd rather slow it down. Um, And I think it's probably in the best interest of everyone if this just happens more gradually, like over the course of this decade. Um, But it's easy to see it reaching that tipping point where gradual doesn't work and it just, it just goes vertical. And then I think, I think governments may act, but again, I think they will likely be trying to smooth it out rather than shut it down.
0: Yep. Um, I mean, that's what, you know, I've recommended many times to people, you know, get out of cities, get yourself some space, um, you know, just with, I mean, outside of that, but like with, you know, covid and the lockdowns and then you know rolling into now this supply chain issue you know and everything and it's like you know your neighbor doesn't become violent until they can't feed their family um, and uh, it's not saying you shouldn't trust other people just you got to really find a way to weather the storm here you know individual on an individual level um, because yeah it would be in an ideal world Bitcoin, you know, it flips into a Bitcoin standard without anything going awry. Um, and, you know, you just wake up all of a sudden and gas is priced in Bitcoin. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this works. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my, I think people need to prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Because um, it, it, uh, it could be an interesting decade. Um, it's so. definitely going to be an
1: interesting decade and we're at the front row of history unfolding. And most people don't even know. I mean, I think most people know <laughs> things are not normal and not sure when they will be normal or what normal will look like. But I don't think most people understand how dramatic the changes may be this decade, um, especially if you don't understand, you know, the natural cycle of things and that at the end of a massive um debt cycle there's naturally social unrest political unrest um economic you know unrest and that this is just a normal course of events what's different is that there was never something like bitcoin entering the chat as we say uh and um and that's going to make i think for absolutely fascinating i mean i'm already i'm already glued to it every day and it's barely begun you know
0: yeah it's gonna be interesting um uh one last thing i wanted to touch on because i don't think we talked about the specifics but um so was it the the thing that caused the riff was that a lot of i mean i know there was the initial thing but do you think you caught a lot of the flack for people not being receptive to um the like the whole conversation of like mining stocks um like you know investing in bitcoin mining stocks and everything um because to be honest like for people that are newer to the space you know i think that i think that's where like i mean there's many places i think that the bitcoin toxic maximalism is is very healthy um you know and uh and I think you did a good job of navigating that and, like, realizing, like, hey, like, okay, like, they've... Because I think it was Matt that was saying it, but I, I've heard it from multiple people. They're like, you know, people have come into these spaces before and have, you know, been the snake oil salesman, you know, like, and try to lure your fiat away from Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, do you think that that is what a lot of the flack was for? And do you think... You know, have you gained a perspective that you maybe didn't have before of like an awareness to, you know, potential, I don't want to say scams, just to flatly call everything a scam, but like let's say things that will take your fiat away from owning Bitcoin yourself.
1: Definitely more aware of it. The the controversy started long before the mining stocks became an issue. It was um the Well, there was some, you know, alleged cloud chasing because I removed somebody from speaker spot. But also the the, the issues that came on the heels of that was, oh, you're giving Lord Fusitua of Tonga a platform and you're like supporting Erica Rhodes, who's running against Brad Sherman, the only like, Vociferously anti-Bitcoin member of Congress, and she's trying to primary him, Democrat versus Democrat. Um, And you know, in Tonga they they had a vaccine mandate, and so he's a communist and she's a communist and I'm a communist for supporting both of them. And that's what the main issue was for many many weeks before Before my picture. And my response to that is you don't have a really good understanding of game theory for a Bitcoiner if you're leveling those criticisms. Um, Because, um, well, you know, Bitcoin is for enemies, but you would rather have Bitcoin co-opt your enemies, rather than have your enemies fully realize what Bitcoin is, Um, until your enemies' incentives have unwittingly to them all of a sudden become aligned with yours, right? And so, um, and I believe that one of the most effective attacks against Bitcoin would be a social political attack where it was turned into a, a left right issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, why would you want to rile up 50% of the population to oppose Bitcoin? Um, the 50 the 50 left right wars have not been won successfully by either side, arguably, because they're 50 50. And so, why would you want to turn? Risk turning Bitcoin into something like that. Ultimately, Bitcoin would win, but could it set the course of that back for years? It, could, it possibly could. And so I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like pretty centrist politically. And I understand there are things about Bitcoin that really appeal to progressives. Um, you know, fairness, everybody playing by the same rules. Um, they were upset about the Cantillon effect before anybody knew what it was, right? <laughs> Including now. Um, and so there's plenty of reasons that people on the left can find that Bitcoin um, solves problems that they major problems they see in the world. And most people hold their political views because of problems they see in the world. Political view didn't come first. The state of yeah. the world and how they see it comes first. And Bitcoin can change that for them. And so it really does change people's philosophical and political outlooks. And so why put up these old roadblocks um, in, in the way? And I say to like libertarian to believe that like Bitcoin will ultimately defund um, the state, I don't actually agree with that. But if that's your position, wouldn't you want to like, (laughs) wouldn't you want to be stealthy about it? Wouldn't you want statists to be buying into it right now? Uh, And so I'm like, you know, the game theory, the smart game theory way to go is, you know, military terms like conduct a feint or a Trojan horse really. And then you've got like these left curvers that are like right wing, left curve on an IQ uh, spectrum, like, you know, they're like people from your army running over the hill, telling the enemy what you're up to. I'm like, what the, what the, like if you think Bitcoin is going to defund the state, why would you be broadcasting that to the state <laughs> like, why would you be trying to turn into a political issue so i think that some people are just still too trapped in the old way of thinking and they haven't fully understood the power of bitcoin like on a game theory standpoint i would think
0: that none of us understand it
1: well uh, that's true right and we won't really know until history plays itself out
0: yeah cuz I, I keep saying that like um you know, Bitcoin, like I, I got to 1% of understanding it and I think everyone remains at 1% forever because it just gets deeper and, and um, and yeah. Um, Wait, just to back up one
1: second, I just have to say this. With the mm-hmm. Lord Fusitua and Erica Rhodes thing, like mm-hmm. most of the biggest names in Bitcoin were behind those, like let's just say those two Um you know, whether it's Alex Gladstein or Preston Pish or you know, you know, you name it, Jimmy Song. Um, and nobody was criticizing them for it. It was just me, right? So that's part of why it was hard to take this as constructive criticism, especially, you know, it was laced with profanities and obscenities. But when, you know, we were able to like, actually get into the space together for hours on a number of days and talk it through, it's like okay. Well, really, we're, we're we're pretty much coming from the same place here. Uh, there's just a lot of misunderstandings. And when the when construct constructive when criticism is constructive, as it did become in some of the spaces we held together, then I'm like, I'm open to it, and I'll adjust. And I did like the first time we got into it, I did make some adjustments. And then a month passed, and I was like. Still getting criticized for the same stuff and so like kind of the follow-up space was hey guys didn't you realize like i made changes since a month ago and they're like been noticed right mm-hmm. and like oh 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 good for you you know so um i'm still learning and i always will be
0: yeah and i think that that's important for everybody to remember you know um because uh you know i wanted i just from the get-go I was like in my mind i was like this you know like let's say the mining stock um play i was like this just makes no, this doesn't make any sense to me this this would be the worst thing you could do with your money you know like not the worst i guess the worst would be you know lighting it on fire well <laughs> like okay that reminds of me of the topic so when spaces
1: started and Bitcoiners really started talking and it was may and it was june and it was july um like the standard advice that pretty much everyone shared that were like bitcoiners was your percentage allocation to bitcoin ought to be in line with your conviction level and it ought to be money that you don't need for at least four years if not eight or ten of uh, you know for your emergency stash or whatever that was like standard advice and mm-hmm. it was on the heels of a like 55 or whatever it was percent correction in the price of Bitcoin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But like this fall, somehow a lot of like Bitcoiners got on the idea that to be a real Bitcoiner or Bitcoin maximalist, you needed to have all of your liquid assets in Bitcoin. That was not a common position in the summer. So there was a change and I ran a poll um Hey, Bitcoin maximalist, what do you think Bitcoin maximalism means? And I gave a number of different options. And the results were were split. About 35% of people thought it meant having all your liquid assets in Bitcoin. But the rest of them did, did not. And so there isn't even agreement among this like Bitcoin Twitter maximalist crowd as to like what a Bitcoin maximalist means in terms of your portfolio. And so, you know, I think that how much you have in traditional assets would depend on your position in life and some of the factors we mentioned before. Um, To me though, it's like, if you're in Bitcoin mining stocks, they're so correlated to Bitcoin. That's not diversification, right? And so where I've come down, Uh, in terms of, okay, well, of what I don't have in Bitcoin, what's it in? And I've come to the unlikely conclusion that it's USD. Because if we have a major crash of all markets, uh, Bitcoin will go down with them. And just holding pure USD (laughs) will be the best thing that you can have. And then you can buy Bitcoin on the cheap. So... Why would I want to hold Bitcoin, say, and stocks? Because if everything crashes, they'll crash together. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have dollars in that case. Um, And yes, they're being debased at probably more than 10% a year. But the Bitcoin part of the portfolio is like, you know, increasing in buying power by over 100% a year. So that's pretty damn good protection against the fiat that you hold. And then if things go really bad and everything goes really bad, um, I want money to buy Bitcoin when it's down. So to me, it's just BTC and USD. And that's the portfolio. And then the allocation depends on, you know, your conviction level and your circumstances in life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm like all in. You know, and to the point where, like, if I just have an extra expense, if my kids want, like, an extra, like, you know, they, they want an extra toy, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to sell some Bitcoin <laughs> to, to buy. The, I actually, I can't, so I did come up with this theory, this plan where if you, if you're willing to buy something very fiaty, if, if that's a term, um, you have to be willing to match that price, the amount of money you spend on it and, and buy yourself some Bitcoin to set aside. Right. Um, so it's like, if you're going to buy some $20 piece of junk, um, you know, and it's going to be like, you're like, why am I buying this? But you wanted to like, you can still do it if you put another 20 in Bitcoin. Um, yeah, you you know,
1: um, and the, 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 the the presumption behind, you know, what I'm saying, if you want to allocate some USD and some Bitcoin is is that there's a non-zero chance that there could be some catastrophic event for bitcoin um Mm -hmm. we think that's extremely low um but it could happen like you buy insurance because your house might burn down that's also extremely low likelihood
0: um oh yeah i mean you know you you need you need that runway of like if everything collapses but people will still take that crummy dollar you know it's like you still need like enough money like let's just say Like I'm making literally a fantasy scenario, but like if, you know, you're stuck in a, like a war zone or you're stuck somewhere that's like dangerous and you need to get out um, in the case that that the place becomes that um dangerous place or the place you need to leave, you need to have enough of the local currency to get yourself to the border and get in a boat (laughs) and get to the other, you know, to the safe land um, or to the high ground.
1: Yeah. And on this non-zero chance of some catastrophic event from Bitcoin, when I was doing, you know, research into the US government and Bitcoin and to this personnel that have kind of been through the revolving door, um, I found an interview with one of them who's a Bitcoin developer um, and like, you know, Bitcoin core developer um, who said, you know, those of us like core devs in our own, our own like chat groups. I think they're on IRC or anyway. Uh, we aren't, <laughs> what, I can't remember what the wording was, but basically we don't have the same like hundred percent confidence that a lot of these Bitcoin maximalists on Twitter have. Like the people actually writing the code, they worry mm-hmm. about <laughs> you know? Um, and You're living it, man. Right, and probably scaling stuff. You know, they're concerned about and potential attacks. And um, but I was like, a, yeah, you know, we might, might be in a little bit of an echo chamber thinking Bitcoin's 100% likely to succeed. We should have 100% of our dollars in it. Maybe there should be a little bit of a risk to reward calculation for the same reason we buy insurance for an unlikely catastrophe yeah, in right
0: the unlikely event that yeah um yeah it's uh it's interesting um yeah i think you know i, I but i do i you know completely su- support the the toxic maximalism from you know because it, it saves people from investing in dangerous things um if it wasn't for them i probably would have had like a come in with like this you know portfolio when i initially came in I, I i probably would have had like you know all kinds of shit coins mixed in and um and more susceptible to scams and uh but instead i i literally had i i bought one eth and then every one whole eth and then everything else was bitcoin oh, wait and um yeah and then i quickly sold that because the maxis were like what are you doing and i was like okay, what are you yeah, doing yeah. <laughs> um
1: on that topic, so when all the when it all kind of came to a head in September, there was like a forty-eight hour period where I was like waging a war against toxic maximalism because going for it. I, I believe that like that's what was motivating like a few dozen trolls to just like go after me relentlessly. They were like upholding their behavior under the banner of toxicity, but. I like never shilled anything other than Bitcoin, and um, and so they weren't using toxicity in the way that it was intended. And somebody who really helped, like, kind of get me through that period was Tomer Strohlight, and like he wrote the article on toxicity. And we had gotten to know one another over the phone when you know Swan Private Client newsletter published my piece on on Bitcoin. He's the editor, and um, and so when i like returned i put out um you know a thread saying uh some thoughts on toxicity which is still out there but i left my account my tweets locked so that people couldn't forward it because i didn't want to reignite
0: This war. Use one of the words out there.
1: I just wanted to be on the record. And basically, I'm like, okay, I get where toxicity has been useful to Bitcoin. I understand the fork wars, understand the purpose of it, and this is what it is. But just being an asshole (laughs) because you're a Bitcoiner, that's not what toxicity is. Um, and that's not what it's for. And so I just put it out on the record. This is the right kind of toxicity. This is the wrong kind of toxicity. And it's still out there. And then I unlocked my tweets and, you know, somebody could pull it up and forward it today, but it's now it's an old tweet. And um, it's just, those are my thoughts. They're out there, but I don't want to get into it again. Like, yeah, I do not <laughs> want not to, get into to it do again. that again. And well, I don't then. want to talk about like, Bitcoiners and their mentalities. And I was falling into the trap of doing that even a little bit after I returned. And like, let's just talk about Bitcoin, you know, and not talk about Bitcoiners.
0: And I've, I've, I've told people before the best way. So like Bitcoin wins, it wins all the arguments. um, And the best way to win arguments is to identify the weaknesses in the, your opponent's, views and just lean on them like they're almost like they're like wounds you know what i mean like just lean on it and put pressure on it because they can't defend it and that's one of the things i love with um you know the bitcoin toxic maxis is like there have been times i've been in spaces maybe some of them were yours where like you know somebody comes on the stage that is not all bitcoin and you know the moment they say the word crypto or like you can just feel it coming And they, like, ask a question like, well, why wouldn't you want to do more than Bitcoin, blah, 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 you know? And, like, it's like everybody unmutes their mic and is like, blah, blah, blah." you know? And it's just like, and then we have to tone it down and go one by one. But, like, it's just, boom, concise. Like, everybody has the concise argument. Um, And it's really easy to shoot down, like, because Bitcoin wins. Bitcoin's truth. Um, Everything else has weaknesses. and, And we know that at this point um so yeah if it, it i i enjoy that part like whenever somebody starts bringing it up i'm like oh man you were going into a buzzsaw like you can't win this one um you know whereas on the other hand like i know like luke and there's other people will go into like eth rooms and just like fight it out with them and it's like it's uh it's amazing because they the, whenever you have the whenever you have the winning answer you know you know it's much easier to argue um
1: Yeah, trying to
0: defend all these booger pickers, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, and one
1: of the reasons why I like wanted to launch this regular Q&A series, you know, one for newbies and one for altcoiners is um, instead of just like booting them off the stage or whatever, like, why don't we just tell them, Hey, this isn't the right time um, for us to deal with your um, altcoin issues, but we have a space once a week and now three times a week. Where you can, like, we invite you to come up and raise these topics. So here's the schedule and just come then. And I'm like, we can, like, tell other people who host Bitcoin spaces the same thing. Hey, you don't have to, like, just boot them off the stage. Say, hey, go check out the schedule. Go ask your questions over there.
0: (laughs) And that way, time and a place. Time and a place. Exactly. Um, Well, Log, uh, is there anything else you want to get out there in the air? I'll let, you know, we'll talk about the, what you're setting up and everything. Um, but, uh, anything else to clear the air that you want to get out there? You did, you did a
1: pretty good job of like getting us around all the bases.
0: I have to say that's a, it was a lot to cover. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, if, it, if we missed anything, um, you know, apologies to everyone out there, but, uh, but, you know, I tried to, to cover it all. Um, and uh, and so talk a little bit about just the, for you know to hand people off because you'll be rebranding and you'll be doing like you're you're basically turning your channel into or your uh, Twitter handle into a, a radio station.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically an interactive radio station. Yes, and um, you know as a part of that, doing more spaces, um, inviting people on to play more of a role um, from a co-host slot, um, inviting a number of podcasts on, um, including your own, and Mm -hmm. filling up more content uh, so that, you know, when newbies come and Twitter says, they're gonna be promoting spaces in general a lot more now that they got the bugs out. So they're saying, expect a lot more people coming, expect a lot more people, especially if we're sponsoring you and um, um, and the Bitcoin price goes up, you know, that's going to pull in a ton of new people. And so I'm like, I'd, I'd rather like when new people stumble across spaces, we can kind of be a fairly constant presence where there's like a high signal to noise ratio that draws them in and makes them want to stay and learn more. And so that's kind of my goal. And. There's there's going to be a lot of different Bitcoin spaces running at the same time because there's going to be a lot more than a dozen people who want to be speaking at the same time, and that's fine. And a lot of people just want to hang out with other Bitcoiners and you know hang out with their buddies and bullshit. That's fine too. But there's
0: spaces a are fun space. too, yeah.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't really help a newbie, right? So there should be a space running most of the time where someone can just drop in and start thinking like wow, this is really interesting. i got to listen to more of this. And then they just start going down the rabbit hole. And so that's the point of like broadening this into more content and more hours. And, you know, (laughs) what Twitter pays for this is like $2,500 a month and $500 in advertising credit. So you can't like live on that. And um, uh, this is, you know, I'm still doing all of this, uh, taking a lot of my time. This should probably be going into my business, right? I've given up yeah. <laughs> a lot uh, of potential money I could have made, but I've learned a lot and I really enjoy this. And if this does go, um, you know, like it might, then, then I'd look at, you know, uh, private sponsorships, Uh I don't even know what the landscape for that is like. So it's like, well, let's just, let's just build this up and see where it goes. And maybe there's, maybe there's enough money in sponsorships to support a number of people, uh, you know, that are helping making this happen. So, but I got no idea. I got to just try it and find out what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But thankfully there's like, there's like a dozen Bitcoin-only companies, um, and so there's plenty of sponsorship money. I don't even feel—I would not even feel comfortable like taking up Blockfire or Celsius or those kinds of you know mm-hmm. platforms that other of the casinos, the other influencers, um, you, you know, have as sponsors because I don't believe I don't believe that you should um, lend out your Bitcoin, uh, borrowing against it under the right circumstances that's a different thing but um you know there's plenty of like good solid bitcoin only companies doing good things that might be interested in sponsoring this and if so great if not you know i'll probably like wind it down or break it apart like let other people you know like take over uh and um but who knows? Like I, I couldn't have told you a month ago that I'd be where I am now. I couldn't have told you two months ago I would have been. So like I'm just I'm just rolling with it and trying to do the right thing.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, uh, everybody check it out. And your so your Twitter handle is under space a lot, or what are the two Twitter handles that they should follow?
1: Let's put that in the text when you release the podcast. Okay. Um, that way it'll be easier for people to. Yeah and that way we'll make sure it's it's correct. I mean, I think I'm like 95% sure and there's a mock up and everything, but now because like Twitter's working with me in like some sort of official capacity, um, I have to like a significant change run by them and I'm waiting to hear back. So, yeah, hopefully. I'd rather not. I'd rather not announce something that turns out to be not the case.
0: Well, if you follow anybody on Twitter, you'll most likely see them at one point or another if they're in Bitcoin in a in a uh, log scale space. So, uh, log, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, seeing where this uh, where this ch- this interactive radio station goes.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, want to thank you for talking me into doing this podcast. Um, I actually really enjoyed it, and I'm glad I did it. I still may not do another one. but um it was it was good to like do this once and um you know
0: put some stuff off your chest yeah
1: yeah and uh and it it made a lot of sense and um I'm really like you know happy that um that you and Luke are interested in working with your podcast um from the platform be able to you know get some interactive Q&A to your guests that way and Mm -hmm. um it'll be interesting just to see how this goes, but Twitter is committed to making space a major thing. So I think we need
0: to, we need to run with it and see, see where that takes I agree. us. I agree. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, podcasts, Bitcoin, everything's about to take off. Um, you know, so I, I say it's the Samuel L. Jackson from Jurassic park moment, The hold on to your butts. <laughs> yes. We're, it's about to go. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Corey. We'll see you on Spaces.